uh, Isaiah 54. So if you have your Bibles with you, please turn back to that passage that Kevin read to us. If you've got your Bibles open, I'd like you to look at 54 through the lens of 53 um, this evening. Let's pray. See, my servant will act wisely. Help us to see how wise your servant, the Lord Jesus, is. And having, see, having seen how wonderful and glorious he is, may we sing with explosive joy for your glory. Amen. I wanted to share with you these uh, first two services of 2020. Uh, the first two goals that we believe as leaders the Lord has laid upon our hearts. Um, and then next Sunday morning, the third goal. We've got three goals. Mission. We want the Lord to raise up and send out from amongst us passionate workers into his harvest field. We looked at that this morning from Matthew 9:38. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send workers out into his harvest field. And that text, we are called to see what Jesus sees and to feel what Jesus feels and to do what Jesus says. See what he sees, feel what he feels, do what he says. This evening, the second goal, ministry, is what I would entitle supernatural growth. Um, and I hope you'll see why I've called it that um, a bit later, my primary text, although we will be looking at all of Isaiah 54, is verse 2 where the Lord says, Enlarge the place of your tent, stretch your tent curtains wide, do not hold back, lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes. We'll be considering that this evening because we, are, we do believe that the Lord is calling us to literally we want to see ministries grow and expand within the life of the church. One of my passions is that this church becomes as porous as possible. What I mean is, it's a church where there are many ways to come in. And many ministries of opportunity amongst the youth, amongst the older people, amongst every age demographic we've got and every gender that we've got. Both genders that we've got, male and female opportunities for the gospel to be shared so that many, many more people come to know and love the Lord Jesus in 2020. And therefore, the premises is not big enough in its current configuration to house all the people that we believe God is calling us to reach. So we want to expect and, and, and see God do some supernatural stuff amongst us. Mission, ministry, number three, money. Generous giving. We're thinking about that next Sunday morning from 2 Corinthians 9, for God loves a cheerful giver. As I say, we believe that these are the three prayer goals that we as leaders have had laid upon our hearts by the Lord, and we want to share those with you and talk about them, pray about them, teach on them, and bring them to the Lord, especially in our week of prayer, but as the year unfolds. So as I say, this evening what I want to do is look with you at supernatural growth goal two to do that i want us to see the glorious transformation that is the blood-bought prosperity flowing into the church that jesus purchased with his own blood 
There's a wonderful commentary on, I think, the entire prophecy of Isaiah. Isaiah is an amazing prophecy that so predicts in great detail the, the, the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ in his glory. And, and so much of, the, uh, of Isaiah is quoted by all of the New Testament writers in multiple ways throughout the ministry and the life of the Lord Jesus and in the church. But I think the best commentary on the book of Isaiah is found in John chapter 12, verse 41. And John says this, regard, and he's quoting from Isaiah chapter 6, which I think is a pivotal passage, a pivotal chapter within Isaiah. John writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke of him. Something happens to you when you see something of Jesus' glory. The glory of Jesus revealed in the gospel has a transforming effect upon you and a transforming effect upon how you live. So the Apostle John was quoting Isaiah who was seeing and savouring and sharing the glory of Jesus that shines throughout his prophecy. I do not think he's just confining seeing Jesus' glory to Isaiah 6. I think Jesus' glory shines throughout all of the prophecy of Isaiah. I would contend, however, that Jesus' glory shines most brightly and most beautifully in his sin-bearing work on Calvary, which is the last of what was known as the servant songs, which runs from Isaiah 52.13 right the way to the end of chapter 53, 12. You could entitle chapter 52, 13 through to the end of chapter 53, 12 as the song of the Redeemer. This is the last of the servant songs, but it's the song of the Redeemer, which then flows out into the blood-bought covenant blessings that we see recorded for us in Isaiah 54, 1 through 17. And you could entitle this chapter, The Song of the Redeemed. So in 53, you've got the Song of the Redeemer. And in 54, you've got the Song of the Redeemed. Let's just make you a, a little comment about singing in church. I think singing is incredibly important in church, when God's people get together and, and the Spirit of God is at work, we sing. We sing to the glory and praise of God. This is what John Calvin wrote in his Institutes. And he took the public singing of God's praises very seriously indeed. He announced, the church is the place where the gospel is preached. The gospel, this is John Calvin, very brief. Very, this is wonderfully brief for John Calvin. The church is the place where the gospel is preached. The gospel is good news. 
Good news makes people happy. Happy people sing. And he says, he adds, an unhappy people may sing to cheer themselves up. So as we prepare our hearts to come around the Lord's table this evening, where we will again literally see enacted out for us the song of the Redeemer and of his covenant love for us, I want us to learn afresh the song of the redeemed. The song of the redeemed has three verses or three visions or three motives that celebrate the the transforming power of blood-bought covenant grace that flows to us. There are three verses or three pictures or three motifs in the song of the redeemed. They are, firstly, a barren woman sings because of her growing family. Number two, a deserted wife is restored because of her husband's unfailing love. And number three, an afflicted city is gloriously rebuilt by sovereign grace. Barren woman sings, deserted wife restored, afflicted city rebuilt. A barren woman sings because of her growing family. Notice how this woman is described. By the way, all these are pictures of the church. They're pictures, and let me be crystal clear what I mean by the church. The church is the gathered people of God in every age, every generation, from every nation. That's the church according to the Bible. Isaiah is writing to the church in his day, Zion, the old covenant people of God, but he's writing for us as well. So the the three pictures, barren woman, deserted wife, afflicted city, are pictures before and after grace comes to the church. So notice how this barren woman is described. In verse 1, she's described as barren. She's described as desolate. She's described in verse 4 as shamed. She's described in verse 4 as reproached. Let me just give you some cultural interpretation for, uh, to, to help us get a better handle on this. Old Testament Israel, like many Eastern cultures, Middle Eastern cultures, and many um, cultures that are today, particularly in, in, East, in the East and Middle East, are shame and honor cultures. Um, they're, they're not individualistic in their outlook. Um, the individual is important, but also part of the community and part of the family. And shame and honor are the driving things that go into their culture. For a woman, in that shame and honor culture, to be childless was a disgrace. For a married woman to be childless in that culture was a huge disgrace and a mark of shame. Because children were a sign of God's blessing on your marriage. 
And therefore, childless women were shunned and despised. I think the best description of what it was like for childless women in that culture, you'll read about in 1 Samuel chapter 1 and Hannah. You read Hannah's prayer and the agony she experienced because she was childless and her very helpful husband who said some stupid things to this heartbroken woman. Sometimes blokes we say stupid things to our wives. That's not part of the sermon, that's just a freebie. But in 1 Samuel chapter 1, this lady, this godly woman breaks down in the temple, in the, in the tabernacle, and weeps and, and, commit, and, and just pours her heart out to the Lord. Because, she, because the culture of her day assumed that she was under God's curse. And we are, by the way, before Christ came and did what he did for us on the cross, under the curse of God, are we not? Cursed is the ground because of you. We have invoked God's curse upon us. But now this barren woman is urged and exhorted to sing. Sing, barren woman. She's urged to burst into song and shout for joy. Verse 1. Why? Because, as verse 1 says... More are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. You are going to have many, many, many children. That's what God says to her. Childless, barren, desolate woman, sing because of God's grace that is going to flood your life and you are going to have many, many, many children. More of the children, more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. As well as sing, she is noticed what she's also encouraged to do, commanded to do by the Sovereign Lord. Enlarge the place of your tent, stretch your tent curtains wide, do not hold back, lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes. Why? For you will spread out to the right and to the left, your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. She is going to experience having supernatural growth in her family that flows to her from covenant grace that the Redeemer has purchased for her on the cross. That's why as well as singing, she's to stretch out the, and expand the home that she's making. She's going to experience astounding supernatural growth. William Carey, who has been uh, known as the father of modern Protestant missions, preached a sermon in the late 1700s in Northampton on this text. On Isaiah 54, verse 2, and his message had two points. And as a result of that sermon, which didn't go down too well with some of the old stick-in-the-muds that were there in the meeting, he transformed Protestant mission. 
in the, from the 1700s onwards. And God, the Spirit of God, so moved as a result of this sermon preached by this untrained cobbler from Northampton that he became the father of modern missions. This was his two points from Isaiah 54 verse 2. That we the church, the people of God, should, number one, expect great things from God. Expect God to do great things. Number two, therefore we should attempt great things for God. Expect great things from God, attempt great things for God. Because because of the finished work of the Redeemer on Calvary, Isaiah 53, the church should be a place of singing and stretching and growing and expanding. We see the same principle worked out in the New Testament in many passages. Let me just quote you one by way of example in Colossians chapter 1, verse 6. In the same way, says the Apostle Paul, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world. Now, for us here, we believe in 2020, we strongly feel that the Lord is calling us to recapture this vision of expectant supernatural growth, which builds on what the Lord has already been doing amongst us in 2019. We have seen new ministries come about in 2019. Let me just give you two by way of example. Thrive was no such thing as Thrive before 2019. That ministry is bearing fruit and growing. Joy has been restarted again, a, a variation of the Senior Citizens Lunch. The youth work in our church is growing. Sunday morning services in this auditorium, I won't call it the sanctuary, sorry, it's the auditorium, is, a, is, is too small to house many of the people who are coming in and many of the people we're praying for. So that's why the officers are considering development plans on this to knock that wall down. Shock horror. We're thinking about taking that wall out. Because we expect to see new ministries come to life. We expect and long to see more people savouring and seeing and sharing the joy of what the Lord Jesus has accomplished for us. So this barren woman is, a, is encouraged to sing <coughs> and she's encouraged to stretch and she's encouraged to press on in fearless, shameless confidence. Look at verse 4. Do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will, not, you will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. Why? Look at verse 5. For your maker is your husband. The Lord Almighty is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of the whole earth. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. The one who hung on the cross... <coughs> As your Redeemer, your Gael, your kinsman Redeemer, he is the God of all the earth. What would you say, theological question, what would you say was the most precious gift Jesus purchased for us in his own blood? 
on the, co- on the cross? Answer himself. The most precious gift of God that God himself in Christ purchased for us on the cross is himself as our redeemer, as our maker, as our husband. So the song of the redeemed begins by a barren woman woman singing and stretching out the place where she lives because of the enormous, wonderful, glorious, supernatural growth that she will experience by God's grace. The second picture is a deserted wife restored. And this flows out of the barren woman picture. A deserted wife is restored because of her husband's unfailing love. Verse 6 follows verse 5. You didn't need me to tell you that. It just does. Notice how it flows. For your maker is your husband, the Lord Almighty. It is named. The Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer. He is called the God of the whole earth. The Lord will call you back as if you were a wife deserted and distressed in spirit. Here we see the foundation for the exuberant joy and the radical growth of this barren woman's family, marriage. She has now a relationship with the Lord Almighty, her Redeemer, as her husband. And this glorious vision is one of reconciliation. Because when you look back at the history of this wife, the people of God, the church, she has been adulterous in her relationship with the Lord. You bring that Isaiah brings that out clearly in Isaiah chapter 1, where he does a state of the church analysis in chapter 1, and she is found guilty of adultery. She chases after other lovers, and therefore she was deserted and distressed and rejected, verse 6. For a brief moment, I abandon you, but with deep compassion, seven, verse 7, I will bring you back. In a surge of righteous, justified anger, I hid my face from you for a moment. But with everlasting kindness, blood-bought, redeemer-purchased, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your redeemer. It's a glorious picture of reconciliation framed in covenant marriage language and he uses the Lord uses the illustration of the days of Noah verse 9 to me this is like the days of Noah what were the days of Noah the days of Noah were days of judgment judgment came only those in the ark were secure judgment fell upon the ark But because the people of God were in the ark, the judgment fell upon the ark and they were spared. What happened at Calvary? Exactly the same on a massive, infinitely bigger, glorious, more glorious scale. The judgment of God fell upon the church and we were shielded from it because Christ died for us on the cross. And therefore, what follows on in the days of Noah is the covenant, is the covenant of the rainbow where the bow is pointed heavenwards. 
and therefore what flows to us is his unfailing, unshakable, all-satisfying love. Verse 10, though the mountains be shaken and the hills be removed, yet my unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor my covenant of peace be removed, says the Lord who has compassion on you. So, purchased for us on Calvary, which is the foundation of our joy and the theme of our new song, is the covenant of sins forgiven, debts paid, past dealt with, God's wrath propitiated, and of us being loved with an everlasting love by the Lord, our Redeemer. The barren woman sings because she is the deserted wife restored. The third picture is of an afflicted city that is rebuilt by sovereign grace. The image apparently, seemingly changes. Barren woman, restored wife, afflicted city. It's all past and present and future. It's seemingly changed from a reconciled wife with a growing family to a storm-lashed city, Verse 11, afflicted city, lashed by storms and not comforted. I will rebuild you with stones of turquoise, says the Lord. And it's this storm-lashed city that the Lord is promising to re-rebuild. And notice how he's going to rebuild this storm-lashed, afflicted city. Stones of turquoise, foundations with lapis lazuli, battlements of rubies, gates with sparkling gates of sparkling jewels, and all your walls of precious stones. This is a glorious picture of this city, and the children, verse thirteen, will be enjoying great peace. They'll be taught by the Lord, and great will be their peace. And the family home, the city is being established in righteousness and therefore will enjoy and experience eternal security. Terror will be far removed. It will not come near you. If anyone does attack you, it will be not my doing. Whoever attacks you will surrender to it, to you. So there's a, a glorious picture here of a transformed church. The city is another picture of the church. I'll show you that in a moment. And all of these blessings are guaranteed. Notice what he says in verse 17. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord. And this is their vindication from me. This is the blood-bought heritage of the church of Christ, says the Lord. And their vindication from him. This glorious depiction of this rebuilt city, by the way, let me just ask you another theological question, see if you're still with me. Where in the Bible is the church described as a city? Does any theological student want to stick their hand up and brave going on? I'm looking at the guys from Northern Ireland. Where in the Bible is the church depicted as a city? Revelation chapter 21. Let me read you these words. Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, 
and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. Verse 9 of Revelation 21. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God. And its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like jasper, clear as crystal. It had great high wall. It had a great high wall with 12 gates and with 12 angels at the gates. On the gates were written the names of the 12 tribes of Israel. It's a beautiful picture of the church as she will become in the last days when the Lord returns. And that's a picture that we have here in Isaiah 54. The barren woman sings because she is the deserted wife who's been restored and because she is the afflicted city that the Lord is rebuilding. This is our song. This is the song of the redeemed that flows to us from the song of the redeemer. Are we singing well, church, are we singing well the song of the redeemed? May God help us to sing well in 2020 the song of the redeemed. How does she sing well? How is the church in Isaiah 54 to sing well? Well, she's to sing but she's also to stretch. She's also to expect the, that God will do amazing, wonderful things. She's commanded to sing, and she's commanded to stretch to the, to, the re, to the left and to the right, to expect God to do amazing things and to attempt amazing things for God, for his glory. So the song of the Redeemer calls us to sing joyfully and expectantly the song of the redeemed. Let's pray. Sing, barren woman who never bore a child. Burst into song, shout for joy. You who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. Father in heaven, thank you for this beautiful picture that is ours by covenant grace that Jesus purchased for us in his own blood on Calvary's cross. May we learn to sing well the song of the redeemed in 2020 for your glory and our joy, and the, and the joy of many people in this community who as yet do not know the Redeemer. Do miracles in us, amongst us, and through us. For your glory we pray, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.